The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League landscape. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. The 2022 NFL Draft is officially in the books. It was a long weekend. Uh, we we grinded a lot over the weekend, and it was still a fun weekend. I still the NFL draft is one of those events that I still truly enjoy uh, about the league, and, and I love seeing where all these guys fall and, and how we can kind of project their roles in the upcoming season. So let me welcome in Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. Justice is out today, so it's just me and KP. And we are going to be breaking down the AFC draft winners and losers for you on today's show. KP, before we get going on these teams, was there any draft takes and anything that you took away from the NFL draft that you feel like this is something that I didn't expect? This is something that I didn't see coming or, or anything that you just feel like you got to get off your chest about the 2022 draft class? Well, the Patriots do not care about your big board. And we all kind of knew that was a thing, but. You, I'm, everybody's seen the clip where Sean McVay talked about, you know, watching Cole Strange and him being around for pick 104. <laughs> that was great. I love that. I, I would love to get to a point where there's not even like subtle shots. Like we're not subbing people anymore. We're just directly calling people out for quote unquote overdrafting people. So that was probably the, the most fun part for me, just seeing people call other people out. That clip from Sean McVay and Les Seed was just absolutely incredible. Like, that's what you do in your fantasy football drafts when somebody takes a player way too high. I I talked about this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, but like a few years back, it's, you know, you, you drink and you get drunk at these things often is the way that we usually go about them, at least in my friend group. And I actually had a friend who got drunk enough that he tried to punch me in the face because I oh. made fun of him for taking Kirk Cousins way too early. So, <laughs> it's... So it's not that aggressive, but it was cool to see just NFL higher ups kind of poking fun at some decisions. So do do you think because based on that video, they were they drinking because they were. Yeah, they were a little uh, a little too carefree there. So I was actually talking to somebody about this and I feel like, yeah, I feel like McVeigh and Steed are like 
they went into this draft knowing they didn't have a lot of draft picks and, and, you know, doing what they do and they are coming off the Super Bowl and they were just like, we can just chill. Like, like the chiefs had 12 picks. And so Brett Veach is in there just grinding on, got cell phones and texts out and like talking to everybody, trying to make moves. And the Rams were just like, we're ready to win right now. We don't have a ton of draft picks. We're just going to hang out, throw back a few beers. I feel like they were definitely like at least like three or four beers deep when they met with the media respect and speaking of just drinking at fantasy drafts i play in a league where if you pick a guy who's already taken like you have to take a shot and come the later rounds it can get pretty messy so not a surprise to see the pros you know (laughs) taking a couple having a couple when they they're probably not anticipating to be on the clock yeah I, I feel like maybe they regretted that a little bit, but it was fantastic. And it, it was it was really funny. And I would love to see more teams do that. Um, you know, Brett Veach was really kind of feeling himself when he spoke about his draft class and cracked a couple of jokes. Let's see more of that from uh, NFL front offices. It, can it is can much- we talk about Veach real quick? Sorry to interrupt you, but I don't think I've ever listened to a Veach presser where he didn't tell you Patrick Mahomes is his quarterback. Like that's his fallback plan for everything. No matter if he gets, if he knows he's going to get criticized, he'll just drop. And Oh, by the way, we have Patrick Mahomes. Like he loves to tell people the one draft pick that he got, right? Yeah, I would too. And I would just, anytime anybody criticizes any move I make, I'd be like, well, Remember when I convinced John Dorsey to draft Patrick Mahomes? That was all me. Like, we we might not have Patrick Mahomes if it wasn't for me. So you can't get mad at me about anything that I do from this point moving forward. But we do have to get into the AFC winners and losers. You already mentioned the Patriots, and you know as far as the AFC East goes, and we're gonna pick one winner and one loser for each division. I, I feel like. We could pick the Patriots as a loser, but we'll we'll discuss a little bit more why that is. But I want to start with the Buffalo Bills. And it's it, for a roster that we've talked about it a ton on this podcast. I view them as the best team in the NFL right now. I think their roster is the best top to bottom roster in the league set up to compete in what's going to be an insane AFC conference but they're loaded everywhere. And I love what they did in the draft, like getting Kair Elam and they had to trade up a couple of spots to get it. But they said after the chiefs drafted Trent McDuffie, that Kair Elam was their number one corner on the board, like getting him. And that was your biggest position of need. And if he truly was like your number one corner left available on the board, then I I think that's a win even before you get into the rest of their draft class, which I think was really solid. I think that Kair Elam was the third best cornerback in the draft. And for him to land with the Bills, a team that already has an all-pro corner in Trey White, and people forget about the other guy who is pretty good. Is Why is his name escaping right now? Levi uh, something, but he's very good. I promise. He's He can cover. He can run. He can play inside. He can play outside. And now you bring in a rookie who like, – he's not Trey White, but from a technical standpoint, he can give you a lot of the same things. And I just cannot imagine a better fit for Elam to go into. So I feel like the Bills just hit a home run with their first round pick. And then a couple other names like James Cook. People thought that the Bills were going to take a running back in the first round. Like they were being mocked some of the first round running backs. So to come back in the second round and get a running back who will be able to help you out of the backfield. And then, of course, the punt guy they took who everybody thought was going to go super early. They ended up getting him. 
And Khalil Shakir is a guy who another, you know, the draft community was pretty high on. They were able to snag him in the sixth round. He's a guy who can create after the catch. So just outlets for Josh Allen out of the backfield. You get a cornerback who will probably be able to start right away. You have three legitimate cornerbacks. Um, it, it, I don't really have any bad things to say about the Bills. I, I agree with you about being the best team in football, having the best roster in football. I thought that was true heading into last year. And now with you know the names that they've added in this draft, I feel like they, they're going to be the team to be in the AFC. And I will also go on to say that the Chiefs passing on Elam, they will regret that, regret that. Yeah, so we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. I was uh, I, I was really deflated when the Chiefs traded up and took Trent McDuffie, but we'll get into that here in a little bit. <laughs> um, I don't really get there because there's still the, the running backs don't matter crowd uh, who were kind of saying, oh, James Cook, like he's fine there, but why would you take him? Uh, in, in the second round. And I love that pick by the bills because they haven't been able to run for years now. Like they've had bad running backs for several years. And I, I, I know that Devin Singletary kind of came on for the end of the season last year in the playoffs, but I just think that James cook is going to give them an element in the passing game that they haven't had out of the backfield. And this is already the most explosive offense in football. Like I think James cook is going to be a player for the bills. 100% agree. So the Bills essentially played like a seven-on-seven team for a lot of last season because they had no interest in running the ball. Let's just say that that's going to be true again. Now they have a, a running back who is essentially a wide receiver, and you're going to be able to match him up against your worst linebackers, your worst defensive back. So he's going to have a lot of space to operate in, and he's already a, like a dynamic guy who can run routes. You can put him in the slot. So I don't understand. I, I mean, I understand why just because we're running with the same narratives of 2018 where running backs don't matter. And we're never going to evolve from that take no matter what information we're presented. But in this offense, with the talent around him, knowing that Cook can run, knowing that you can move him around, knowing that when he's in space one on one, you are not going to have a good chance to tackle him like he's going to make you miss. That's just what he does. And um, he actually ranked six in what's called boom percentage so you know the amount of runs that essentially go for explosive gains uh for like from an epa standpoint he is going to just give them another added dynamic that they didn't have last year and he can also create after contact i mentioned you know he's he's a good route runner um i i don't know why you would be down on cook in this offense other than he's a running back other than you know the typical narrative that's out there yeah like they got to get drafted somewhere. It wasn't in the <laughs> right. first round. So like it, it, it's like they, we only are high on running backs if they're post fourth round. Like, like what are we doing there? I, I love the James cook pick. And you mentioned Boise state wide receiver, Khalil Shakur. I, I think that he is an interesting pick. Like we saw Cole Beasley depart in free in free agency this off season. They added Jamison Crowder. Who's like a veteran guy, but you don't expect him to be around long-term like Khalil Shakur is a guy that they could develop into a player potentially. And then, yeah, getting the punt God as I think he was the third punter off the board, which yeah, this, people this were very upset about. Yeah. This, I mean, this is a guy that booms it 80 yards and Josh Allen can throw the football 80 yards. So now you got the quarterback who can throw it the farthest. <laughs> you got the punter who can kick it the farthest. Like I think there's plenty of upside there. I, I like the matter. pick. I, I don't really understand why he was the third punter off the board. So everybody thinks that the jets were one of the clear winners of the draft. And I would agree. So we were not as high on Jermaine Johnson 
in this draft, but they were able to get Jermaine Johnson at 26. So they traded back into the first round to get him. So the value, the difference in value of getting Johnson, taking Johnson at, you know, in the top 10, where a lot of people thought he was going to go as opposed to 26 is, is incredible. So great job by um, the jets there. So they get a lockdown corner in sauce Gardner. They get a speedy wide receiver for Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson. They have Jermaine Johnson, as I just said, Brees Hall, I would say now they have a running back who, you know, you can rely on every down. A sneaky good player is Max Mitchell. So um, it's been reported that Becton is overweight. And if they can get Max Mitchell, who will be able to sneak some starts out of him, if they can just get starts from a fourth round offensive tackle, who I think will be able to start for them, like that is great value there as well. So just going down a lot of their picks, man, the Jets really understood, I feel like, where the value was in this draft and talking about Johnson real quick, the drop off after him from where he was selected. So to trade up and get Johnson, knowing that the edge rushers would have fallen off a cliff after him. um, Incredible job by them just manipulating, maneuvering around the board. So kudos to the jets. Uh, They needed a bunch of talent and they got an influx in talent. Yeah. I really like their draft class and and whether you're, you know, high on some of the guys or not, I, I think one thing that you can't argue is that, the value of where they took those guys was was pretty standard and pretty on par with like where you would want those guys to be drafted. Like Sauce Gardner was a guy that you would have been totally fine with him being the number one corner off the board. And he wound up being the number two corner off the board. And then Garrett Wilson at number 10, instead of trading for a veteran wide receiver, which they were reportedly interested in doing. You get Garrett Wilson and he's going to be a lot cheaper than any veteran wide receiver that you're going to add. You don't get the you know, guaranteed upside of that NFL veteran, but you you got a young player who's got a really high ceiling as an NFL wide receiver. And then, yeah, I totally agree with you on Jermaine Johnson. It's trading back into the first round to get him and get him that late in the first round is a good value when, yeah, he was a guy that we were talking about. Oh, he's climbing up draft boards. Teams are considering trading up to get him. And then the Jets are like, oh, he's there at 26. Let's just go ahead and get back into the first round and grab him. And for a team that has so many holes and had so many roster concerns headed into the season, like you got to be happy with this draft class and, and the guys that you that you came away with. Like even Ohio State tight end Jeremy Ruckert, like I think he's a guy that, might have more upside in the NFL just based on how he was utilized in college and the way he could try to be utilized in the NFL. And then Brees Hall is exciting to me because I know they've got Michael Carter and they drafted him last year, but Michael Carter just wasn't a guy that I viewed as like an every down back and and Brees Hall can be that. And I think that that's something that can be really beneficial for your young quarterback in Zach Wilson. I'm a big Brees Hall guy and I've been watching him just because he's been on like my dynasty team. <laughs> so I've been watching him uh, pretty much since he was a freshman at, at Iowa State. For, so you got to think of what the Jets do, what they, what the type of running game they have. And Hall has like the patience, the vision. And he has a lot better burst, especially for a guy his size. So I, I could see him um, breaking a couple runs next year. Probably not a good sign for Michael Carter that they drafted a running back so early. But I don't I mean, if, if they're not high on Carter, there's no need to, you know, keep him around, you know, draft his replacement. And that's exactly what they did. So I, I like teams that admit that they made a mistake. I'm, I'm not saying Carter is a mistake, but if they view that that is the case, I'm 
I like the idea of replacing him with Hall, who a lot of people thought was the best running back in the draft. Yeah, I, I love it. I love the upside, especially in fantasy football, uh, as you <laughs> mentioned. We can kind of gloss over the Miami Dolphins. I, I don't have much for their class. They didn't have very many picks. We've talked about it. That team is a team that is built to try to compete right now and win right now and see what they can get out of Tua. And they gave up all their draft picks to try to accumulate all that veteran talent. So they didn't have much of a draft class. But getting back to the Patriots, I think like if we say the winners in the AFC East is between the Bills and the Jets, like the Patriots are the clear losers here, right? Like I haven't seen anybody who has tried to talk themselves into the (laughs) Patriots draft class because there's always that person every year who's like, well, you know, you could look at this upside and like Bill's track record with developing these kinds of players. Like, you know, you got to have faith in Bill Belichick. It's getting pretty critically panned like everywhere. And everybody seems to be on the consensus that this was just a bad draft class for the Patriots where you're just scratching your head saying like, what is Bill doing? Like, is there some conspiracy here where he wants the Patriots to be bad because he's going to retire in a couple of years and he wants everybody to remember how good they had it with him. I understand why they took strange where they took him. Well, I wouldn't say that. I would say I understand taking strange early and 29. It was probably too early for a lot of people. As we talked about McVay uh, thought he was going to be around in the fourth round. Some people said that strange probably wasn't going to last until the second pick, the second round, I would say, I should say. Um, but the Patriots had a second round pick, so they could have easily taken him there. I think the bigger reach was Tyquan Thornton. Like a lot of people thought he was going to go like fifth, six, and maybe not even that high. And they had no problem taking him where he did. So I don't know that he's going to be able to, you know, be able to get on the field for them right away, which that was a problem. And again, the, the wide receiver class, it fell off after a certain name. I do like Marcus Jones just because I feel like, you know, he's a special teams demon. And they they know how to draft DBs and know how to develop DBs. So I, I won't say anything bad about them. But Thornton was pretty questionable at 85, just knowing like who else was going to take him there. They took Bailey Zabbix, a quarterback. Why? <laughs> are, are you just bored at this that's point? Just, that's just old habits. That's yeah, just right. I drafted all these quarterbacks when we had Brady, too, and tried to flip them for picks later. And sure, like that's worked in the past. You have a rookie quarterback. You have a rookie quarterback who's probably not going to miss any time. So when are you going to have the chance to flip a quarterback? They, I mean, they traded back four more six-round picks, which <laughs> is a choice. Let's just say that. That is certainly a choice to want to move down in a draft that is viewed as weak and have more six-round picks. I, I don't know what their goal was. They drafted a couple of running backs. Um and we just t- got talk- got done talking about running backs in general, but why why do you need two in the sixth round when I mean just look at their roster? It 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 was strange. It didn't seem like there was much direction with the Patriots. Um, it's a team that usually relies on veterans as it is. I don't know. It's just I don't know where they were headed, where they were going, what the direction is. Yes, Mac Jones needed speed at wide receiver. They drafted the fastest wide receiver possible. Like is that? <laughs> Is that it? I feel like he's had such a bad track record of drafting wide receivers and especially drafting like big wide receivers that can like win on the outside. And they knew they needed speed. So he was finally like, fine, just take the fastest dude. I don't care. Just take the fastest dude available. We'll see if he works out. And I don't know if it's going to. And then 
they've got Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, who are like two good young running backs who who fit their style. So to draft two more running backs, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Like their their whole class just doesn't make much sense to me. So I, I'm not sure what the Patriots are doing. So I, I think that they are the clear losers in the AFC East. And then I'm going to pick the bills as my biggest winner in the AFC East. Are you going bills or jets? So just real quick on Stevenson, they drafted him last year. Like he's not this old running back. Yeah. He was a rookie in the fourth round last year. So what are we doing here? And he was good. Um, last year. Yes. He was very productive. Time. Yeah, man. All right. 606 yards, average 4.6 yards per carry. Oh, I don't know, man. But um, I, yeah, I would rank, I really like what the Jets did, uh, just as far as value goes. So I would say Jets, I mean, if we're ranking all the teams, I mean, the Dolphins, as you said, they didn't have to pick until one on two, so it's it's really tough. And I know a lot of people like the Texas Tech wide receiver, but I wasn't as high on him, and I think he lasted to the seventh round for a reason. I would go Jets. I would go Bills, and I, I do like the Bills. I, and the Bills would be first probably for a lot of divisions, and then, I mean – Dolphins Patriots by default, just because they're the the next, the only people left. (laughs) So moving on to the AFC West and we'll start with the Kansas city chiefs. Obviously at Arrowhead pride, we have talked about this draft class a ton and and it was a huge draft class for the chiefs, 10 picks. I did not think they were actually going to make 10 picks in this NFL draft. And it's hard for me to come away, not feeling good because I do feel like Brett Veach had a good draft. I feel like, He got good talent off the board, and we knew going into this draft that this was a really important draft class for the Kansas City Chiefs. They needed an infusion of some young talent because they're turning the page on that roster a little bit based on the way that it's been built over the last couple of years. And I think that they got that. But you mentioned cornerback Trent McDuffie, who the Chiefs traded up for at number 21. I just don't love trading up for him. And now they said afterwards that they knew they needed to get ahead of the Buffalo Bills because the Bills supposedly really liked McDuffie and Elam. And so they knew if they wanted a corner, they had to get ahead of Buffalo. So that's why they traded up to get McDuffie because he was their number one cornerback on the board. I just don't really understand the pick based on the way that they viewed quarterback cornerbacks in the last few years and, and the, the cornerbacks that they do go out and sign, like they like longer athletic guys, like bigger, more physical cornerbacks. And that's the way they've had success with Spags and, and Veach over the last couple of years, bringing in guys like Charvarius Ward, who was an undrafted player, but he's a, a bigger corner or Bashad Breeland, like guys like that. And Legarius Sneed as somebody who they drafted in the fourth round a couple of seasons ago. I, he just doesn't really fit that profile. And so I'm a little bit concerned about his size overall and like his fit in the defense. And I feel like they knew it was a need and maybe the way their board was shaking up, they were just like, okay, we just got to go up and get it. Cause we know we're not going to use all 12 of these picks. So, and you know, this better than anybody last year with Traverius Ward, like he was their guy. He would, he would match up with like the top wide receivers and move around and, I don't want to say they put him on an island, but he was playing press against all the top receivers and he didn't have a lot of help. That was his game. I think 6'1, 6'2 could really run, had long arms. Like that was the prototype. That and that's they've been pretty consistent with that. That's not who McDuffie is. Like he played a lot of off coverage at Washington and speed isn't an issue. I don't think his transitions are either, but asking him to play press, I don't think that's his strength. 
asking him to be able to essentially compete at the catch point against bigger, stronger wide receivers, especially as a rookie. So if their plan is to replace Charverius Ward with McDuffie, who naturally you're just probably going to struggle as a rookie cornerback no matter what. And then to be put into this role, if he is the number one guy, I I don't think that's his role. I don't think they're putting him in a great position to succeed if that is the case, man. I uh, I have a lot of questions about his game in general. And then just knowing who they're going to be against and not just like wide receivers. I'm talking specifically quarterbacks. There's going to be a bullseye on him. And the Chiefs don't exactly have the pass rushers to hide cornerbacks like that either. So, man, I, obviously I'm not rooting against him, but I could see this where it doesn't work out like a lot of people think. And it's crazy because we have been harping on McDuffie the last couple of weeks, but every other draft analysis is very high on him. But I just don't think the fit is what a lot of people would think, especially in the Spags defense where, you know, they want to be aggressive, want to be in your face. And I don't know, man. I, I, I have more questions than answers for when it comes to McDuffie. Well, and so their fourth round pick, Fayetteville State cornerback Joshua Williams, like that guy fits their profile more than their first round pick who they traded up for. And Brett Veach spoke about him and they're really high on him. And he seems like the exact type of cornerback that they have attacked in the draft over the last couple of years. Like these developmental guys that might not necessarily be like lockdown corners right away or anything like that, but you give them a year or two and they can wind up being like significant contributing players. And so I just didn't really understand the trade up and the urgency to go grab McDuffie. And I, I don't have any problems with where they took George Karloftis. Like I think at that point he's it's like between him and Arnold Ebiketti is like, and David Ojabo is like who you had is the top pass rushers left on the board. And, you know, Ojabo's not going to be available as rookie season in all likelihood. They needed to get somebody who could play right away in that position because it's the thinnest position on their roster. So Karloftis fits their brand. Like he, he's a big physical pass rusher who's going to win with power more often than not. I, I don't know about his athleticism and transitioning to the NFL. I think I tempered my expectations about him as like a rookie player a little bit. I feel like Chiefs fans are, are getting a little too overhyped and, and see, assuming that he's going to just like be this monster right out of the gate. I, I think he's a developmental player too, but He's got upside, and I think that Spags has a good track record of developing these kinds of players. So, I mean, every fan will convince themselves that whether it's first, whether it's fifth, whether it's undrafted free agent, that because he's on my team, he's going to be a star. <laughs> Just you watch. But I actually – I like this pick, and I like this pick more than I like McDuffie, and I think he will be able to contribute right away. I think his athleticism is kind of underrated. He's a big body, so you don't – it's just – it's weird when you watch him. You don't, you don't expect him to move like he does, and – I actually think they could kick him inside and him and Chris Jones could, could do a lot of damage. And then obviously you're just hoping you get um, <laughs> better than what you got last year from Frank Clark, I guess, more consistency from him. But um, I think Carlotis will be very good for them. I think he'll be very good under Spags. Um, the rest of the draft was actually pretty solid. And like as, as much as, as I'm not as high on McDuffie, but I really think that, Sky Moore could do some damage with him. I think Brian Cook is a smart safety. And um, last year they had they had so many coverage busts that you don't you won't get that with Cook. You you get a guy who knows where to be. You get a guy who knows what he's doing, who understands what the offense wants to do. A Darren Kennard is a later round guy who might turn into a developmental guy. You know, an offensive line guys always get banged up and might have to miss a game. That would be a rookie that you feel confident putting in there. 
So the real the real still here is one of their undrafted guys who who they signed um, out of Clemson, Justin Ross. He was viewed as a first round pick a couple of years ago. Like he people thought he was better than T Higgins um, when they were both playing on the same team. Health is a big question mark, but I actually think. He is the most talented wideout that they've brought in all offseason, which, sorry, Juju. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. And obviously, this comes with a big caveat of staying healthy. But if Justin Ross was um, their biggest asset at wide receiver uh, just in 2022, just because I think he can be a big time addition for them in the slot specifically. And nobody's going to replace uh, Tyreek Hill. But he can do a lot of damage down the seams, and I think he can just outrun linebackers and safeties across the middle, which is essentially what Tyreek Kill did for the Chiefs last year. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how they use Ross. Yeah, and I don't want to come off sounding like I'm being negative on the Chiefs draft class. Please do. I, I have like – and Chiefs fans at AP have been saying this about me too. Like, oh, you're being negative when everybody loves our draft class, and I'm just trying to be – realistic about it i think they got a lot of guys that can play football and i think they got a lot of guys who have a strong chance of contributing to the roster i'm just trying to temper my expectations because most draft classes you're happy if you get what two three guys who like wind up sticking around on your roster and hopefully one or two of them is like a legitimate playmaker and like the odds of these 11 guys, because we can we can lump Justin Ross into that, I think. 11 starters, baby. Like, yeah, like the odds of all 11 of these <laughs> players like giving you starting snaps is pretty unlikely. But I do like the Sky Moore pick. I think he's going to have an impact next season. I think they're going to need him to have an impact next season. And like you mentioned, uh, Justin Ross, he had spinal fusion surgery, which caused him to miss 18 months of his coll- collegiate career. But as a true freshman, there was a case to be made that he was the best wide receiver prospect that they had on that Clemson team. And he's got a ton of upside. It's just absolutely no risk at all in signing him. And according to his agent, he had a pretty big market on the, on the undrafted free agent market as he should have. And he decided to go to Kansas city. So I, I think he's got a, a huge upside. He's going to be the guy that when we go to training camp in, in late July, everybody's going to be paying attention to what Justin Ross did uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So I am excited about that. I think the Chiefs are are winners in this draft class. But moving on to Los Angeles Chargers, pick number 17, they get Boston College offensive lineman Zion Johnson. I like that. I, I still think their offensive line was a big issue. And so uh, addressing that in any way, I, I think is going to be a big win for them. And, and I, I do actually like Baylor safety, JT Woods. They seemed like they were really high on him and they're hoping that he can kind of step in and be a player for them to where uh, they can, they can utilize the other players in that secondary, which is deep and has a lot of really, really good players this upcoming season. So I like those picks. I, I'm not, I'm kind of indifferent on the rest of their draft class, I guess. Like I, I there wasn't anybody that like stood out to me in, in a big way that like, I was like, Oh man, I can't believe the Chargers got that dude. Yeah, I think Zion's big just because I'm, I imagine in their mindset, they're thinking, all right, we have one of, if not the best quarterback in the NFL, and we know that interior pressure is king. So we are going to get Zion Johnson, who might replace Lindsey next year. And as a rookie, he'll probably be right guard. And you know that he's going to protect Herbert down the line. Who knows what position he plays, but if he's if you're high on him as a rookie, he's you probably feel like feel very strongly about his future. So now you have Slater, who you just drafted last year. You have Zion, so you have two really good pieces in the first round. 
And Herbert's probably going to be able to lift up whatever wide receiver is out there because he was doing that last year. So I, I would rather go Zion here in, in our mock that we were doing before the draft. We took Zion in the late 20s. So to get him here, like that's not a reach because we know he's a good player. We know he's a heady, smart player who is just aware and he's probably going to take some some of the protections and stuff off Herbert's plate anyway. So uh, no, no problems there. CJ Spiller is a, or CJ Spiller, um, Isaiah Spiller. Jesus, I'm old. Uh, Spiller is a guy who I thought was very good two years ago. I don't know if he just tailed off. I don't know what happened to him, but explosiveness like that's what I remember from watching him. He's a guy who's a big play, a walking big play. So, again, just adding more weapons out of the backfield, getting Herbert a potential check down guy who can turn, you know, second and 10, a check down into second and two like those. That matters a lot in football. So I think Spiller's good. And you mentioned JT Woods, getting him in the fourth round. He's a guy who you can probably rely on as a deep safety. And you can just do more with Derwin if that's the case. You can get your guys, whether it's um, Derwin, they have Asante Sam. You you have a lot of guys you can move around in that secondary. And I think JT Woods is a guy who will be able to start if they need him to. I, I wasn't big on Adderley coming out, their free safety. And maybe they feel like, you know, I, I, he might be in the final year of his contract, so JT Woods might be able to take over from him or take over for him uh, down the line. But looking at the rest of the AFC West, a lot of these guys uh, are these teams didn't have a first rounder, and the Raiders didn't pick until 90. So I don't I don't feel like we need to waste too much time here. I would say the Chiefs, as much as we talked about McDuffie, they they are the clear winners here, just because they have a, a few guys that they drafted who you would think would be able to contribute during the course of their rookie contracts. So I would go Chiefs, and then I would go Chargers, and then blah, whatever after. Yeah, I think I'd go Broncos, Raiders at the end there. Um, But yeah, again, those teams just didn't have a lot of draft picks because of all the huge veteran moves that they've made this offseason. So yeah, we don't need to spend a bunch of time there, but let's take a quick time out. When we get back, we will get into the AFC North as well as the AFC South. That's coming up next on NFL University. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined by Kyle Posey of Diners Nation, breaking down the biggest winners and losers of the 2022 NFL draft on the AFC side of the ball. Starting off with the, the defending AFC champion, Cincinnati Bengals. They take their first round pick, number 31 overall. Uh, and safety Daxton Hill. I actually really like that pick, and, and I'm curious your thoughts on the, the Bengals draft overall. It, it was a lot of defense, but I think that's where they need it because 
I, I thought their secondary, especially like it, it performed above expectation last year. Like I, I know Eli Apple's not a player that we, we've necessarily come to rely on as an NFL <laughs> starter, but he gave them like serious snaps and, and contributed quite a bit down the stretch for them, especially like in the playoffs, he was actually really good for them. But you still had a huge, huge question marks in their secondary. They franchise tag Jesse Bates, so you don't know if you're going to have him long term. So I actually really like the the way they addressed needs in this draft class. I feel like Daxton Hill is going to be great for them. So you mentioned Eli Apple. That is not a player you can rely on. Teams went out of their way to pick on him. And their secondary had a lot of youth last year and just inexperience, and it showed. So getting Daxton Hill, who can play – pretty much all over, whether it's slot, whether it's both safety positions, he'll be able to help them. And him and Mike Hilton will do a lot for their second level defense and, and just in the middle of their coverage. So Daxon Hill will be a starter right away. I was very big on Cam, uh, Cam Taylor. Britt. I think that he will be great for them. And they actually traded in front of the 49ers. I feel like they must have thought that the 49ers were going to go in that direction. So uh, Taylor Britt is a guy who can really run who's physical, who knows how to play the ball, who can find the ball in the air. Uh, I, I'm not surprised that he lasted until the end of the second round, but if a team were to take him in the top 50, I wouldn't have batted an eye. So just getting those two guys, you had speed, you had physicality, and you had guys who can cover. Like the Bengals need players who could cover, and that'll, allow, that'll free up some of their front seven, just be able to be more aggressive. So um, just getting those two go. Those two guys right away in their secondary, that was huge for the Bengals. So uh, kudos to, again, just getting guys who are young, who you know who could cover, and you, um, you, you know what you're getting in both these players too. Yeah, kind of similar to the Chiefs. Like They knew that their biggest issues were along the offensive line, which they addressed in free agency, and then on the defensive side of the ball. So they really attacked this draft class on that side of the ball. And I, I like what they did. I, I think they made themselves better. So I, I think the Bengals are a winner in this draft class. But in the AFC North, I, I don't know if there's a bigger winner than the Baltimore Ravens. And we haven't really had a chance to talk about this since the draft. We did the recap show on Friday, breaking down the whole first round. Like Kyle Hamilton going to Baltimore is such a Ravens pick. I think he's just going to be an absolute monster there. And when they when they drafted him, I totally forgot that they had signed Marcus Williams in free agency too. So like that safety tandem, I, I think Insane. is just going to be nasty. And then Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum, like he was widely considered the best center in the draft. That's a position that, you know, you don't got to worry about. Like he can play for you right away, day one. And, and just everything else they did, David Ojabo, like the Ravens. Can we talk about this for a second? The Ravens are the best team in the NFL at finding edge rushers later in the draft, where it seems like we talk about all these metrics that say you can't find an edge rusher like outside the top 10, 15 picks. Like that's where you got to grab those guys. And the Ravens seem to do it just every single year. Like they, they find a pass rusher who can step in and contribute for them right away. And I know Jabba's injured, but he's got serious upside. And you look at him in that Ravens defensive system and the way they just manage things there, you're like, when that guy's healthy, he's just going to have like 10 sacks a year. Like that's just going to be his role in that defense. He's probably going to come in the middle of the season, not miss a beat, and him and Oway from last year. So now they have like two edge rushers that will be on rookie contracts with athleticism and speed that the NFL covets. It has to be annoying for the rest of the division <laughs> that they do this all the time, man. So you talk about Linderbaum. It would be a surprise if he's not like a Pro Bowl level player. He's that good. 
And for them to just get him without having to move around, really, <laughs> just falling in their laps, like, of course, they're going to take him. Um, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams is predominantly a free safety. Like, he, that's what he does. So you don't have to worry. The issues with Hamilton were, like, his playing speed. Like, what happens if he has to play deep? Well, you don't have to worry about that because you have Marcus Williams. Now he can live around the line of scrimmage and he can make those plays where he's jumping plays or he's in the slot covering and being physical coming up against a run. Just come on, man. Like, what did they what did they do to deserve this? Is the real question. <laughs> but even after that, like, look at their other picks. Um, who's the def- Travis Jones is a guy who some compared to like as Obviously, the Georgia defensive tackles were on a tier, but Travis Jones would be on that next year, and they get him at pick 110. Um, the the huge Minnesota offensive tackle, like, huge. That, is, that huge. is a fun player to watch, and you could see him being successful in the NFL. Why? Because we have evidence of Orlando Brown, who they just had. Now you know he plays for the Chiefs, but like he was, I imagine he'll be fine if Orlando Brown can play in the NFL this guy could probably play in the NFL. So you talk about the Chiefs bringing 11 picks and, you know, them all, them or the fans wanting them to hit on all of them. It seems like all these players that were listening for the Ravens, like they're going to have an impact pretty early in their career. And again, we'll be looking back at how did this do fall? How did this do fall? Like, why does Baltimore always do this? It seems like we go over this every year, but uh, they have it down, man. That If, if you are the NFL team and you want to study how to win the NFL draft, this is it. Uh, we always talk about need and whatnot, but they, they always just get value, man. Kudos to Baltimore. And I know Lamar Jackson tweeted WTF like, when they took <laughs> Tyler Linderbaum, but if that dude is his starting center and is locked down for you know a decade, like I think Lamar Jackson's going to be totally fine with that pick in the long run. Do so. we worry about a receiver? Um, because it is Rashad Bateman, and there's going to be a lot on his plate. They took Tylen Wallace last year, traded Hollywood Brown, obviously. Like, is Lamar going to have to do something with Slade Bolden? <laughs> like, what? who else is he going to throw to? Or are they just hoping um, Bateman is a guy? And then, of course, Mark Andrews. But they did take a tight end in the fourth round, so, you know, maybe they're expecting big things out of uh, Charlie Kolar. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit worried about their wide receiver core, but – I think Rashad Bateman could still be really good in the NFL and he was injured for a lot of his rookie year. So he came in late and you know, was, was a little bit slower and getting on the field and being able to develop because of that early season injury. But I don't think it's really that different where you just replace Hollywood Brown with Rashad Bateman and hope you get him for a full season. And then Mark Andrews, like, it's not really that different from the the passing options that Lamar Jackson has had over the last couple of years. Rashad Bateman's a bigger body wide receiver, different style of player, obviously. But I still think that they're a team that's like, we're just going to be able to run on everybody. We're, we're going to be able to play offense that way, utilize Lamar that way. And then we'll we'll throw touchdowns when teams are trying to overcommit to slow the run. So I still think that they're uh, just – a really good top to bottom roster and they had six fourth round picks. So there was some criticism about the value of where they took some of these guys, but they had six picks of the fourth round. So they were just like, whatever, like we're, <laughs> we're just going to take the dudes that we like here, which I, I don't blame them for at all. Yeah. And you, you mentioned just building around the running game. So they, they drafted a couple of tight ends in the fourth round and uh, Charlie Kolar and Isaiah likely who, are two probably they're, they're different tight ends, but both should be able to help Lamar. Both are more contested catch guys. I, th- I actually think um, likely plays faster than he ran. I think he ran a four eight, but he he is pretty dynamic and versatile. So 
Um, it'll be interesting to see if they're just living with tight ends on the field constantly and moving Rashad Bateman around the formation. You would imagine that they're going to get the most out of all these guys, and they always do. So uh, it'll be fun to see what Lamar looks like without that that deep threat of Hollywood. So absolutely love the Ravens class. I hate the Steelers first round pick, but overall, I think I really like the Ravens draft class. Like I think taking Kenny Pickett at number 20 is weird. Uh, I I don't really get the pick when I would have much rather taken Malik Willis. Like you had your pick of any quarterback in the draft and you said you liked Kenny Pickett the most because you think he's the most pro ready. Like, I just don't know about that. Like if you needed to draft a quarterback that could play week one, if you really needed him to in this draft, then what'd you sign Mitch Trubisky for? Like if Malik Willis was too much of a project, then what was the point in even bringing in Mitch Trubisky on a two year deal? So I don't love the Kenny Pickett selection at number 20 overall, but I love Georgia wide receiver, George Pickens. I know there's uh, some off the field concerns about him, but his upside as a football player, I think, is really high. And the Steelers are just a wide receiver factory. And then I love Memphis wide receiver Calvin Austin. I know he's a little guy, but that speed is dynamic. And if he can replace Ray Ray McLeod in this <laughs> game, I think it's a win for Steelers fans. I, uh, I don't think you have to worry about him um, not surpassing the production of Ray Ray McLeod <laughs> gave the Steelers. George Pickens is interesting just because – He's one of the rare receivers that come out nowadays that that really doesn't give you much after the catch. But before that, like everything he does before that is very good. Like I think from a talent perspective, like he's one of the better. He was one of the better wide receivers in the NFL draft. So um, using him and then why am I blanking on the Notre Dame wide receiver? Who is the jump ball guy who is just a knucklehead at times? Chase Claypool. There it is. So Pickens and Claypool on the field at the same time. That would be interesting just because those are jump ball kind of guys who are, you know, ISO receivers and mixing them in with uh, a guy like Calvin Austin, who you would imagine they're going to use. Uh, is he going to be the Juju replacement who just runs everything underneath? And is, I mean, Juju wasn't really a speed guy, so he has that element. Um, I don't know what the Steelers are going to do. I don't know what they're going to look like. And maybe that's the fascinating part. And I'm interested to see how that plays out. But what what does Pickett do that any like a third or fourth round QB doesn't because that's what, you know, we're talking value and maybe they just don't view, you know, having a strong arm as big of a deal, but his pocket presence was very shaky. Like he had, he saw ghosts in the pocket. So whenever you see that, if that's happening in college and it's not like he was a sophomore, it's not like he was a junior. He like, he's a very experienced quarterback. And I think this is who Pickett is. So knowing that I, I just don't see how he's going to get better because the pass rush that he saw in the ACC is nothing like what he's going to see next year. Just imagine the Ravens with what they're going to try out or the Browns pass rush, probably even better example. And when, when Pickett and I don't know if he's going to beat out Mitch Trubisky, I, I really don't think so, which is probably saying something. Um, I, I just don't know what the, what if let's say the, the Steelers are expected to win eight or nine games. And that was with Mitch Trubisky. How much better is, Trubisky going to, or how much better is Pickett going to be with Trubisky? I don't think at all, which is kind of terrifying to sell out. Yeah, I, I think that they view themselves just with the offensive weapons that they have. And you mentioned Chase Claypool, and then they have Deontay Johnson, and Pat Fryermuth was insanely productive as a rookie tight end, which we just don't see rookie tight ends really be uh, that productive offensively very often. 
and then Najee Harris and, and the wide receivers that they just drafted, like their offensive weapons are nice. And so you're just saying like, and I think some of it is planning for the future with like Pickens because, you know, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are going to be coming up for contracts and the Steelers just generally don't sign those guys that often. Like they're just like, nah, we, we just churn these dudes out. So we don't need you. So that could be a, a plan for the future, but the offensive weapons there are nice. I just don't know if I trust the development of Kenny Pickett, like long-term as their fix at quarterback post Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I agree there. And so, okay, let's turn the page to the Browns who, I mean, they didn't pick until 68, obviously because they, dealt all their picks, but I'm not very high on Martin Emerson and we don't really have to waste too much time here. I think I will say though, the one receiver that I would bank on for being productive, who is slow. Like that's why David Bell fell just because he didn't run fast. I mean, he was, he was good in college. He knows how to run routes. He knows how to make plays with defenders on him. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially with, you know, Rashad Higgins being the, the player that he turned out to be in that offense. I could see Bell being productive for the Browns, but let's go to the AFC South. What do you think about the Titans? And they do have Malik Willis. And as you know, um, their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, is not going to mentor <laughs> Malik Willis. I, I'm fascinated just by, so you got Traylon Burks, uh, you have Willis, you have Derrick Henry. That package right there, you could probably get very creative, but I mean, we've talked about Burks and how we didn't really view him as a first round pick. So a Burks for AJ Brown, one for one. Is that like, is well, how are they going to use him? So I don't love the process of that, uh, of saying we offer, well, we offered AJ Brown $16 million a year and he didn't want to take it. So we traded him when it's like, well, that's not enough money. Like that, that's just simply not enough money for a, a player who is the caliber of AJ Brown. Like that's just not going to work. I think that they're hoping that Traylon Burks is, you know, similar body style. And he was a guy I saw getting comped to AJ Brown quite a bit. I don't think he's as well-rounded as a, of a wide receiver. Like I don't think he's even close to that just I'm yet as AJ Brown is, but the physicality's there, I guess. The size is there. And if you believe that his 40 time is is not a good indicator of like how fast his actual game speed is, which was a, a big argument for him going into the draft, then I don't necessarily hate the pick because that's the Titans style, right? Like those are the players they draft. They like big guys. They like big bodied physical players. That's been the Mike Vrabel thing since he took over there. But what I do kind of like about that, about what they did is them admitting that they're kind of in rebuild mode. I think it's like a soft rebuild, but they did kind of admit in the NFL draft that, okay, we know we paid Ryan Tannehill, but Ryan Tannehill is not our long-term answer. We know we won the AFC last season, but we're not reading too much into that, doing that again <laughs> into that number one seed in the AFC. Like it's a different landscape. Now we know that's probably not going to happen again this year. We might still be a playoff team, but we're certainly not going to be the one seed. And so them drafting Malik Willis in the third round, I think is an incredible value for a player that we thought should have gone in the first round, just based on the quarterback class. And it doesn't benefit Ryan Tannehill in any way to just be like, it's not my job to teach that guy anything. I don't really know why he said that, but I think he's a little upset because he knows that they're admitting like, okay, we're in the middle of a, a soft rebuild. We still think we can be good, but we're not a Super Bowl contender right now. So we've got to reset some things as a franchise. 
they, like, they were favored to beat the Bengals. They should have beat the Bengals and in the playoffs this last season. And he was a big reason why they didn't. I feel like he needs to look in the mirror and acknowledge, As you, I mean, if you watch that game, he was pretty brutal. He's going to be 34 by the time the season starts. It's probably time to start looking elsewhere. Like This is who Ryan Tannehill is. And a lot of numbers backed him up that he was, you know, a top 10 quarterback for the last couple of years. But the Bengals game was a prime example. He, he misses way too many throws. And if you're going to be a playoff contender, you need consistency at quarterback. Malik Willis, the furthest thing from consistency. There's no doubt about it. And I want to be clear that I'm not arguing that, but I understand why they took a quarterback. I understand why they took Traylon Burks. Like he's a guy who he didn't run as well as some people thought, but I actually think he does play a lot faster than he runs. I, I, I see him running by people who are next to him. So that tells me he has good play speed. Uh, looking at the rest of their draft, uh, Roger McCurry, a guy who a lot of people liked, he lasts until uh, the second round and, I think he's going to be able to, like, for what the Titans asked of their cornerbacks for what they want, I think he's going to be able to guy who can play too. So um, interesting draft. I think it's all going to depend on what they get out of Burks. And if Malik, there's no, there's no real pressure on him as a fourth rounder to, you know, to perform. And I think that's going to be better for him. So he can take, you know, if it takes two years for him to become somebody, then so be it. But using his legs right away should be priority number one because he will be one of the better quarterback runners in the NFL right away. And the Titans should use Derrick Henry off that. So I think that that should be a good idea for their offense. Yeah. I'm interested to see. I I think there's just a lot of question marks with, with their draft class. So I I don't know if I want to label the Titans is a winner just yet, but the Indianapolis Colts did not have a first round draft pick uh, as a part of the trades that they made. Obviously they acquired Matt Ryan from the Atlanta Falcons. Um, but they did take number or in the second round, number 53 overall Cincinnati wide receiver, Alec Pierce, third round, Virginia tight end Jelani Woods. I actually really like the woods pick. I don't know how I feel about the Alec Pierce pick. I know. Was it Chris Sims who had Alec Pierce in like his top three wide <laughs> yes. receiver prospects? Um, I, I'm not quite there, uh, but I, I do like Virginia tight end Jelani Woods a lot. I think that that's a position that they've needed to address for a while. Like Jack Doyle hit, was just there for a decade is just kind of a dude. And Mo Ali Cox is a player that, that's shown some upside, but I, I think that the Virginia tight end, I think he's got a role in that offense potentially, and he could wind up being a really good player for them. A hundred percent agree. So just looking at, you know, what they did, I actually, I'm not very high on Alec Pierce. I don't know where he'll win in the NFL. I know he's big. I know he timed well, and people think that he's a deep threat and plays fast. I think he'll have trouble separating, but he has Matt Ryan, and Matt Ryan will throw you open, or at least give you a chance. He'll have a chance to make those um, those contested catches. Nick Cross is interesting. Like, he fell probably a little further than people thought, but he can run. Like, he's physical, and I don't want to say he's reckless, but he – in in some ways, that's good. Jelani Woods is a guy who, yeah, you mentioned Mo Ali Cox. I feel like Jelani Woods will be a guy that Matt Ryan will love. So while the Colts probably didn't get great value with their picks, I feel like if they get anything, like we're talking about, once we get to this point in the draft, if you get any type of contributions from your rookies, like you're sitting pretty, like that's what you want. You don't want, they don't have to be all pros. They don't have to be pro bowlers. You just have to get some type of contribution and that way you're continually getting better. So, uh, the Texans, that was a draft. We all, we thought we we think of Lovey Smith, we think of cover two, we think of not using their DBs or, or vanilla DBs. So that's not true. And in there, they drafted Derek Stanley, 
So by the way, thank you because had that prop and needed that. So he, to me, was the best player in the draft and they got him third overall. So that that's good value right away. But it tells you that we're going to see, you know, more creative defense because in the press conference, in the post-game clip or whatever, post-presser clip, he told, Lovey Smith told Stingley that, hey, we're going to move you around. You're going to be traveling. Like, he's that good to do right away. And in my mind, he's probably already the best cornerback in the AFC South. They In the second round, they get a versatile DB in Jalen Petrie. And he's probably one of the better safeties already in the AFC South. So you get really good talent, really good versatility, guys who understand football with two of your first three picks. And then Kenyon Green, you get another, you get an offensive lineman in the second round who's going to be able to play right away. And then they just drafted um, Alabama players. So when in doubt, just get a couple of Crimson Tide players and we'll see We'll see how they do. Um, I, I'm not sure how, how well John Mechie will perform. He'll probably be more of a, like Jameson Crowder is a name that comes to mind, just like a slot receiver who will be fine for you. And that's okay, especially at this point in the draft. If you're just getting guys who can give you 30, 40 catches at that point, and that's who he turns out to be, and then, then good on you, Texans. But, I mean, Petrie was a great pick, great value. I think Stingley's going to be a stud. And then Green will be a guy who plays for them right away and probably starts for a long time. So the Texans had a really strong draft, in my opinion, man. I, I like what they did a lot. Yeah, I really like their draft class, too. And, you know, John Mechie, the injury concerns or whatever, like I, I think he can wind up being a, a good NFL wide receiver. And – they're thin at wide receiver. They're thin everywhere. So yep. <laughs> like, they're, they're, they they would have had to go a long way to like totally swing and miss because when you have that many holes on your roster, it's like just take talented players. It doesn't matter who they are, what they play. Just take guys that can get on the field for you. And I think that they did that uh, for the most part. Like I, I think they had a really strong draft class. Like even fourth round Florida running back Damian Pierce, like, he's the best running back they have on the roster. Like, I don't know if they still have Rex Burkhead, but they might still have Rex Burkhead. Like <laughs> David Johnson is still on this team. And David Johnson just is not a running back that you want to trot out onto an NFL field in 2022. So I, I really like their draft class. I do think the Texans are a, a big winner coming out of this, but our final team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, obviously first overall pick Georgia defensive end, Trayvon Walker, uh, Later in the first round, they take Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd, and they take another linebacker um, later on in the draft. I, you know, Trayvon Walker, we talked about a ton. We we knew headed into draft night that it was pretty clear he was like 100% going to be the number one overall pick, and he's got a ton of athletic upside. But I'm still kind of scratching my head, like wondering how the Jaguars view themselves, what they think they're going to be next season after spending big on a lot of, I think like second and third tier free agents. And, and then this draft class, it just doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Yeah. Again, just how we talked about the, with the Patriots, what is the Jags direction here? So they clearly felt like they needed to get better in the front seven on defense, which yes, if you watch them, that was, that's apparent. So I'm actually fine with Trayvon Walker going number one just because in a draft class with question marks and a lot of top prospects, he's an Uber athlete. He's going to take time to develop his pass rushing moves. There's no doubt about it. If his floor as a very young player is an elite run defender who can kick inside and probably win, that's great. If he develops a pass rush repertoire and becomes, you know, like a, I don't want to call him a star, but 
you know, a fringe star, then for a number one pick more often than not, like that's really good for you. Trading up in the first round for a linebacker makes zero sense at all. Trading up for a linebacker in the first round and then taking another linebacker in the third round, it just admits that you have no process at all. In my opinion, and if we were to watch Devin Lloyd and watch Chad Muma, remove the schools where they went to, remove the names, remove what the outside thinks about them, you would come away thinking that Muma is a better player. And I feel like that is the case here. So they could have traded up in the first round and got any other position of need. You could have picked literally any other player and gotten better value than taking a linebacker there. I think Muma is going to be great for them. I think he is going to be a very good player in the NFL, which makes it just very puzzling to take Lloyd in that spot. But maybe they just wanted to, maybe they know that, hey, we need two guys and we're going to live in sub packages. So that was their thought process. But I, I love the movement pick. Actually, I'm a big fan of that. Um, I, I know Lou Fortner was a guy that a lot of people liked and a lot of people thought that, you know, he would be able, he would be able to start for a lot of teams right away. So it'll be interesting to see how they use him. But it's going to come down to, you know, how good is Trayvon Walker, no matter what we talk about with these linebackers. Is Trayvon Walker going to give you the same type of production Aiden Hutchinson is? Is he going to give you the same type of production that Kayvon Thibodeau does? And if that's true, then good on you. But if he flames out, then they're going to be the Jacks. They're going to be uh, talked about quite a bit. Well, and they gave a pretty hefty free agent contract to Foyer Aluakon, the uh, linebacker from the Atlanta Falcons. So, like, it's not like they hadn't already invested in the position. So I just don't really understand what they're doing with all the linebacker picks there. And I guess that this roster is better, right? It's better than what they were trotting out there last year with Urban Meyer. But I just don't look at it with the free agent signings and, and even with the draft class. And maybe I'm – and Trayvon Walker can absolutely be that. But I just don't look at it like – they got serious impact players like right. at all these levels where they had to fill holes on their roster. I just don't really know what they're doing with Trevor Lawrence. And it feels like it's just going to be a total disaster again next season. So they essentially went into this off season thinking that if they sign a wide receiver during free agency, like that's all they need to do. So now we're looking at LaVisha Chenault, who is probably in the afterburners. You have Marvin Jones, you have Zay Jones, who we talked about a few weeks ago, probably not a wide receiver you want to be relying on, and Christian Kirk, who was their prize of the free agency. That's who Trevor Lawrence has to throw the ball to. They could have traded up into the first round for a lot of the names that we talked about, man, and, and maybe gotten even higher um, ahead of a couple of teams that needed a wide receiver. So what are they hoping that Evan Ingram turns a corner? Like, this is Evan Ingram's year. Uh, I, I forgot they even signed them. Yeah, yeah, man. Like these are the names we're talking about. But again, I will say that elite quarterbacks do uplift wide receivers. So, I mean, maybe it's just they're thinking, hey, Lawrence is a stud and we know that he's going to get the best out of whoever we put out there. So they don't have to stress about um, getting, you know, taking a first round wide receiver. Probably not the best process again, but no matter what, it's going to come back to Trayvon, like I said. Yeah. So in the AFC South, I think my biggest winner would be the Houston Texans. And I think my biggest loser is the Jacksonville Jaguars, even though they had the number one overall pick in the draft. Could you imagine if the Jaguars have a worse record than <laughs> the Texans? And they take a quarterback uh, like number one overall oh. next year. <laughs> <laughs> Go Jags! 
So we'll see how that goes in Jacksonville with Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson. But uh, I'm not super optimistic. But thank you guys for joining us this week on NFL University. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review everything that we're doing on Apple and Spotify. You can follow KP at KP underscore show on Twitter. I'm Steven Serta. That's where you can find me. We will talk to you guys next week. Thank you.